This is New York State of Crime. A true crime podcast exploring New York's most disturbing criminal cases. I'm Peter. I'm Brenna. Welcome back for episode 18. Is that the episode we're at? I think it is. That's exciting. Yeah. What's happening? Well, we took a break. We took a a small break. Yeah. Listen, life's crazy. Yeah. COVID is spiking. There's things that need to happen. I mean, sometimes you have a life and a podcast, and sometimes you just have a life. Sometimes the podcast has to wait for a couple weeks. So true. Mm -hmm. But we're back. We are back. And better than ever, because today's case, I'm so shocked that I've never heard this case before. I I can't even think of what it is, but I'm ready. (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah, it's a a New York City case. It happened, like, not that long ago like it's long ago but like we were both alive and aware Whoa, of our okay. surroundings yeah um and i'm just like really surprised that it never crossed my radar mm-hmm. until now and it's also just like got some twist twisties and turnies oh i love twisties and turnies so um i guess i will just well wait before no. before we get into it we should issue a little bit of a correction because remember last week we talked about dd thomas mm-hmm. and and where she was found we made a little bit of a mistake there oh we was that talk- last week well close enough to last okay. week anyway yeah but for those of you who don't remember we talked a little bit about dd thomas who was unfortunately found deceased in a um in a dumpster in the park that is uh, just a few blocks south of us and we were speaking about her being found behind these like apartment building towers that are mm-hmm. on the south side of the park and that's actually not quite correct mm-hmm. from what the article said we actually like misconstrued it and she was likely found in a dumpster in the actual park against uh, FDR mm-hmm. because uh, where the park sits against the highway there is actually a bit of a sidewalk there Mm -hmm. and a little bit of space where there are some dumpsters like around the back of the school and stuff so it's more Mm -hmm. likely she was found there i walk by that area almost every day and i keep looking and there is no dumpster there anymore right and i cannot recall if there was one there a month ago when this happened two months ago now whatever Mm -hmm. it was um but I also realized when we talked about this that it's also possible it was on the river side. It just said off FDR. True. And the street. So it could have been on that other side. On the the, the, the walking pathway. Although, again, I don't remember ever There's not seeing really a dumpster there. Maybe a trash can, but barely. Yeah, not really. No. So I'm confused, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a small detail in the case, but it does shape a lot about how we talked about, like, how she could have gotten there, who put her there. Again, no matter where this is, like, for sure, these are all fairly trafficked areas. Definitely. I mean, especially compared to the area in New York City, we're going to talk about today's case. Right. Yeah. So, again, no news on that. Just those one or two scant articles that we talked about last time. So we are keeping an eye out for that because that's Mm -hmm. that's horrible and it's way too close to home and we want to know. Yeah. Any other news or any announcements? I don't really think so. Right. Not New York news, but there's some true crime news. Yeah. Um, that guy, got? that guy died. The, the guy. The dating game killer. Oh, yeah. Fuck that guy. I think he, what is it? But that was like from California or something. Yeah. 
Um, and there was another crazy thing that happened. And I'm totally spacing, so... De Blasio's gonna start paying people $100 to get their vaccines. I have mixed feelings about this. It's a very simple and effective public health incentive. And to be honest, of all the people that are like, I have deeply held philosophical beliefs for not getting the the vaccine, $100 is gonna change their minds. So it's like, in that way, it's funny in that it probably is going to work really well. Yeah. In another way, I'm mad that I didn't get $100 for getting my vaccine. Same. Yeah. We got ours pretty early on, and there was no $100 for us. No. Just uh, smugness and, I suppose, temporary invulnerability to the Ronies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anyone was holding out, hoping the government would pay you for your vaccine, now is your moment. Now's the time. Now's your time. Get that money. So... Uh, I think that's it. Oh, since we're on the Ronies now, CDC mask guidelines, scary business. Back mm-hmm. to masking up inside in high infection areas. So there's always like a cop out. So it's like yeah. everyone gets to determine whether or not they're a high infection area. So I think it's still mask off party time. Inside. No, 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 no. The high infection area actually has specific criteria. It has to be like um, 8% or higher t- positive test results in the area. And all five boroughs count as that right now. Oh, no. So. So we're fucked. We're fucked. Shit. Anyway. Oops. Do you want to hear about some tr- some true crime stories? I absolutely do. All right. We're going to go... Back in time (laughs) to 2004. Is that the official going back in time sound? Yeah, it's like a mirror, like reverberating. That's the Doctor Who sound, like the a little bit, yeah, yeah. Oh, hi, Sybil. She wants to go back in time. Yeah, she does. She wants to get back on this podcast. Hmm. You guys mm-hmm. probably can't hear her because our mics are better now, actually. Mm. Well, she's here. Okay, so... It's 2004 in New York City. I am 14 years old. You are. <laughs> I am 11. Ew. And <laughs> post 9-11, obviously. So we didn't live in New York City at this time. So I only know it through myth. Mm-hmm. But like... It does seem like there was a very particular vibe in the air in the few years post 9-11 because it was like if you stayed in New York or voluntary moved, voluntarily moved to New York during that time, it was like you're, you're, you're gritting your teeth, like you're yeah working through it. Like For sure. nothing scares you. You're going to just do it. You're going to do it. So um, that was the context in which 21-year-old Sarah Fox moved to New York from New Jersey, where she grew up, to study drama at Juilliard. Oh. Yeah. Well. She was a very petite little thing. She was only five foot two. She had these very small but very bright blue eyes and strawberry blonde hair. She looked like a little nymph, which Uh makes sense because she was in drama. She was a theater kid, you know, ever since high school. She loved playing like deep troubled women in plays oh, I bet. like she wasn't into like musical theater as far as i read it was more like serious dramas Good. 
Um, and obviously she was good at it because she got into Juilliard and she moved to New York to pursue that dream. On May 19th, 2004, Sarah left her fifth floor walk-up apartment that she shared with a roommate at around five o'clock in the evening. She was planning to go for a jog through Inwood Hill Park, and she lived in the Inwood neighborhood of northern Manhattan. Now, Inwood Hill Park is probably the wildest of all of New York City's parks. I mean, I haven't been in every single one, but just from what I know, like it, it like Central Park has its woody areas and like parts of it that you kind of almost could forget you're in a city, but like you can't really. But Inwood Hill Park is like, there's like steep cliffs and like very deep areas of the woods. It's it's like the woods. So when she left for her jog, Sarah was wearing black and white jogging clothes and she had a portable CD player with her, of course. Of course. Because it's 2004. Yes. And she's just going for a jog, just living her life. However, she never came home that night. Uh-oh. It's so scary as a, as a woman, as someone who goes out for walks. Mm-hmm. Because I just feel very safe and, you know, statistically I am. But just the amount of people like, um, what's that girl from Washington, D.C. who was like in an affair with the senator? Oh, I don't remember her name. Pause. Chandra Levy. Oh, uh, yeah. She also was like supposedly going for a jog or a run in um the park in D.C. So it's just very, it's a time when like. You could be vulnerable. It's very Don't creepy. exercise. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's why I didn't for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Smart. Don't exercise. Good. That's Stay helpful. chunky. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So Sarah went out for a jog. She never came home. And she was reported missing by her roommate almost immediately. Fellow Juilliard students and others who knew her immediately launched a search for Sarah. They knew that she was planning to go to the park. Her roommate had a really good sense of when she left, when she would have been home, what she was wearing. Like They felt like maybe she just fell, maybe she got lost, whatever. We can try and find her. So they searched the park, which is deep and maze-like and, mm-hmm. you know, hilly. And there are parts of it that are really hard to, to get around. I mean... So they were searching, but they didn't find anything. After six days of searching for Sarah, her body was discovered in a more secluded area of Inwood Hill Park. It was a very steep embankment, and it was described as being 50 yards west of the southbound lanes of the Henry Hudson Parkway Hmm. and 30 yards south of the Parkway's toll plaza at the Henry Hudson Bridge. So I looked at this on a map. And it was still a little bit confusing, but it seems like it was like right where the Henry Hudson Bridge crosses mm-hmm. into Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And then the road starts to go this way down the west side of Manhattan. And it was around that area, basically. So was it like down an embankment or something? Like, was she like pushed down the hill I over there? Yeah, I couldn't find a picture. I was trying to find a picture of what it looked like. Um, at least the area where she was found. And I, I could only find a description that said it was uh, on or near a steep embankment. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, I, I wasn't totally clear on what that meant. But th- if you look at pictures of that park, I haven't even been to this area of that park. I've been to the much more like urban and developed areas that are mm-hmm. way down south um, from here. But uh, from pictures I saw, like it looks like you're hiking upstate 
at that I point see. at that point of it except for the fact that you're right next to the henry hudson right. parkway so this is where they found her body and of course first they thought maybe this is just a horrible accident she fell something then they got a closer look she was totally naked oh she had been strangled oh they found her portable cd player on the ground a few feet away but her clothes were not found right away and they actually were never found Ew. exactly the weirdest part of this was that her body appeared to have been posed. Uh, Police described it as an almost ritualistic position. She was surrounded by a neat circle made up of tree branches and two dozen yellow tulip petals. That's very specific. And very weird. And you know what I thought of? I wasn't able to locate it exactly, but when I was doing research for this case, there is a Law & Order episode that is based off of this case. I thought there might be. Yeah. And I, I could not figure out which one it was. But when I was researching the case, like other people were saying, isn't this a Law & Order episode? So we'll have to hunt that down. Because mm-hmm. like when I was reading these details, I realized this sounds so familiar. And I think that's exactly why. Law & Order, not SVU or... Oh, I wasn't sure. Which one? Well... I don't know. We'll have to look into it. I mean, it. probably SVU, but sometimes there's, uh, you know, other law and order yeah. iterations are relevant. Yeah. Well, since you bring up SVU, um, unfortunately, it was never able to be confirmed whether she was sexually assaulted or this was a sexually motivated crime. They assume so because she's naked, right? Right. But by the time they got to her, unfortunately, she was very decomposed. So there was no evidence to prove or disprove that that happened um so the only thing that they could use to you know think about that aspect of the crime was the ritual positioning of the body and the fact that she was without her clothes you said it was like six days later right exactly yeah that's kind of a little little while there and then on that note they brought a botanist to the scene to look oh. at these tulip petals okay yeah. they were like this is very specific as you right. said at least two dozen yellow tulip petals. Mm-hmm. So they brought a botanist to the scene to analyze these flower petals. And this botanist said, based on the condition of the petals, they could only have been picked 24 to 48 hours before the discovery of her body. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. So that meant somebody put them there after she's reported missing and there's already an active search for her. Somebody put them there. They, presumably the killer, revisited the scene. There's a lot of theories on exactly what happened. So let me tell you a little bit more. But that's, yeah, that was the first thing that they thought of. And the botanist also believed that the petals were not from any nearby tree. So it wasn't just like somebody walked by, found tulip petals and put them there. That it was like deliberately sought out because there was not a yellow tulip tree nearby. They, it would have had to be. They brought the tulips specifically for this whatever this was right there were yellow tu- yellow tulip trees in the park but not nearby so the flowers were there for a day or two before she was discovered but she had been missing for six days and the next thing they wanted to figure out is um was she killed right away mm-hmm. or was she held somewhere and killed later so Forensic examiners determined, based on the level of decomposition, that Sarah had definitely been murdered within hours of leaving her home at 5 p.m. on May 19th. Um, So she was dead pretty much right away. During her jog, she was killed. Oh, shit. Um, 
And of course, these tulip petals indicated that the killer or someone had returned to the scene of the crime days after her death to place the petals. Oh man, after after decomp starts right? going, you I, come back. Okay, this I don't is a lot. Think about that. I know this is a lot. However, there's sort of a a but here. Um, after this initial search, they brought in a second botanist from the Bronx Botanical Gardens, mm-hmm. like a more local botanist. And this botanist actually said um, the first botanist may have been wrong about the fact that there was no tulip tree nearby. That botanist was like, oh, well, maybe it was dark when you brought that person in because there's a tulip tree, like kind of just above her. Uh, And that botanist believed it's possible the petals could have been blown there naturally. I still think the amount of the fact that the initial responder to the scene described it as ritualistic, the way that she was placed, the circle of the tree branches and the petals. mm -hmm. It's not just like, oh, there were petals scattered on her. And also all the way everywhere around. There were no other petals. It was just in that circle. So that would have to just be the wildest coincidence of nature. So I don't know what this botanist was on, but like these botanists were kind of fighting over the interpretation here. I mean, it's a pretty big mistake to miss the tulip plant. Yeah. You know, so near. I mean, whether or not it was... I don't know. I think if there's a circle of flowers and branches around someone, someone else probably put them there. Yeah. Just going to go out and hazard a guess that a person probably placed Mm -hmm. those there. Yeah. And it's a big mystery in this case, the significance of the petals, because it's kind of the thing that makes this case so weird is that ritualistic aspect. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, without that, it's actually fairly mundane. Right. So in some ways, it's like positive for her case to get more attention, but then it may be misleading because we don't truly know why they're there, who brought them there, whatever. It could be a red herring. Exactly. So obviously, the whole Inwood community and the community at Juilliard was very shook by these events. Even at the time, in the early 2000s, Inwood was seen as largely a safe area. The park was seen as a very safe area compared to the rest of New York. So... People were just shocked that this happened so nearby. But even though this park was known to be very safe, a few tips began to come in about a man who had been seen in the park very often. He was kind of known to anyone who used the park regularly as this man who was always walking his dog. Um, He had a big dog, a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Is that a dog? I guess it's a dog. (laughs) So the man had this dog big dog and he would walk him in the park very often and often let the dog off the leash and he would get into these screaming matches and big fights with other people walking their dogs because he kind of let his dog go crazy and he was just known to be like very short fused kind of weird this man was dimitri scheinman he was 39 years old and police located him right away and brought him in for questioning While being questioned this first time, Scheinman said he immediately fell into a trance and saw the entire crime unfold before his eyes. He described these visions to the police. He shared details of the crime that were not released to the public, including the fact that a stick was placed between Sarah's legs and that one of her ribs had been broken. He told the police the exact location where the body was found, 
which had not been shared either, and suggested that the killer probably chose that spot because there was some heavy machinery work being done nearby and that um, this w- this noise would muffle out her screams. Wow, so helpful. Totally, totally inconspicuous. Yes, wow. so thank you for falling into that Thanks. trance, Dimitri. So obviously police were like, yeah, this is our guy. For sure. Uh, the Manhattan District Attorney at the time, Robert Morgenthau, called Scheinman his number one suspect. So they immediately took a DNA sample from Scheinman. They had DNA that was not Sarah's from her Walkman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they tested it. But it was not a match. Oh, no. Yeah. Hmm. So they said Scheinman couldn't have been the killer, or at least that evidence couldn't tie him to the crime. And his knowledge of the crime was not enough to hold him on anything. So they let him go. They still kept him under surveillance due to his increasingly odd behavior. He kept getting into fights with others at the park over his dog. And he was later arrested for punching another dog walker in the face in Inwood Hill Park. He served two months in jail for this. And immediately after his release, he moved to Cape Town in South Africa. That's an interesting move. So he was Russian, um, mm-hmm. of Russian descent, or I believe he was Russian, like he was from Russia, um, but he had been living in New York. So I don't know if he had ties there. I don't. I have no idea why he moved to Cape Town, but he, he did pretty immediately. So this case went cold, like after they couldn't hold Dimitri Scheinman and they had no other leads, the case went cold for a while. In 2012, so that's, what, eight years after, mm-hmm. he, Scheinman, returned to New York and held a press conference on the steps of the 34th Precinct Station where he was originally questioned. He reported then that he continued to speak to Sarah Fox through his psychic visions. Okay. And described to people that, you know, she wanted the killer to be found and he was going to help. And police were sick of hearing from this guy and just, you know, shoot him away at this point. And while many people still found him to be creepy and suspicious and many people within the investigation team still felt like he was the number one suspect, they had nothing else tying him to the crime and he returned to South Africa. Also in 2012, an NYPD crime lab got a match on the DNA that was lifted from the Walkman. The match came from a new piece of evidence that was just being entered, a large metal chain that Occupy Wall Street protesters had used to lock open a subway exit door so that protesters could travel for free. So why such a lock was undergoing DNA testing, I could not begin to tell you because, I mean, how many people must have touched that, first of all? Right. So it appeared that someone whose DNA was being found on this lock had also been in contact with Sarah Fox's Walkman. Seems like a very strong lead. They didn't have an immediate match for this person, but they knew it was the same DNA. Mm -hmm. It was a promising lead until they found out that a lab worker had touched both pieces of evidence, leaving his own DNA on both and causing this fake link between the items. What a dipshit. Ugh. It was really upsetting, too, because obviously, again, this is eight years after the crime had gone cold. It was very exciting to her family, to investigators, that they finally had a new lead. Yeah. And then, and you know, there was even like a very serious write-up 
um, when I was researching the case, like a serious article in the New York Times about this and like what it could mean and what the evidence could mean. And then, you know, a week later, it was like, correction, it was just a sloppy lab worker. Like, Uh. this is why I don't trust forensics. So that went nowhere. A few years later, in 2014, Dimitri Scheinman told the New York Post that he was actually still in constant contact with Sarah Fox telepathically. Scheinman said that Sarah was angry at the injustice that police did to him and angry that nobody had found her true killer. And a journalist from the New York Post who was working on this story visited Scheinman's house in Cape Town. Uh, This journalist reported that he kept a shrine to Sarah Fox with a photograph of her, candles, animal figurines, and also a photograph of the person who he believed was the killer. Oh, good. That's healthy. He said that he used the shrine to continue to communicate with Sarah. After moving to South Africa, Scheinman changed his first name to Victor and self-published a book about the murder of Sarah Fox. He continues to live in South Africa now. He has a wife and two children, and he actually started his own religion based on his telepathic powers and psychic abilities. The religion is called The Power, and he is the leader, guru, god, I don't even know. He has a website, and it's very unhinged. I need to know about this immediately. I know. I need to look at it. Yeah. So, in 2013, police got two more names to investigate through anonymous Crime Stopper tips um, of other potential suspects or people involved in Sarah Fox's murder. They questioned and did DNA testing on these two men, but neither were strong suspects. And again, with no... Physical evidence connecting Dimitri Scheinman to the crime. This case has been cold now for 17 years. Wow. So that is the overall story. I'm going to tell you about a couple of theories I came across from some people online who were thinking about this case. So we talked about the yellow tulip petals being either some very specific ritualistic aspect that could point us to the killer or a total red herring. Mm-hmm. Someone on a Reddit thread that was talking about this case suggested that there was a very popular Russian breakup song in the early 1900s, in the early 1990s called Yellow Tulips and um, that yellow flowers are meaningful in Russian culture. And Dmitry Scheinman is Russian, grew up in Russia. He was 39 in 2004, so he would have been at an age in the early 90s to know this song. So, you know, some people have suggested that Scheinman is clearly going through something. Like, he has some sort of unwellness in his mind with his beliefs and his psychic abilities and whatnot. And he has these ties to Russian culture that he he may have been the one who put the yellow tulips. Now, the big question is, did he kill her? and then place the yellow tulips or it's possible and a lot of people have suggested because he frequented the park so much perhaps he just stumbled across her body didn't know what to do felt some sort of guilt but also didn't feel like he could report it without being questioned and placed the tulips there as 
some sort of memorial. This would explain why he knew details about the crime, the location of the body, the fact that there was a stick between her legs. It doesn't explain why he'd know her rib was broken, but others have suggested that might have been something easy to guess. And, you know, that that's that's possible that that's what happened. And that's why he remains so obsessed with the case, because he's kind of haunted by the trauma of finding the body and not reporting it. The other suggestion, of course, is that he is the killer. He's obviously expressed uh, anger issues at people in the park. If she was jogging and his dog came after her and, you know, got in her way or tried to bite at her while she was trying to get through her jog, maybe she yelled at it or, you know, tried to get away from it and he got angry and hurt her. Again, she did die by strangulation. They don't know if it was because of the decomposition. They don't know if it was due to manual strangulation with someone's hands or due to some object or... A ligature or something, yeah. yeah. But, you know, that kind of murder is not necessarily premeditated if you had the... You didn't have to come prepared to, to murder someone like that, I guess. No. So it could have been Scheinman, but it also could have been literally anyone else. And... That is where the case stands 17 years later. What do you think? I'm not sure. I think it's probably more likely that he just found her instead of killing her. Because, I mean, if the police checked him out and there's nothing, I don't know. I mean, they did what they were supposed to do, right? And why would he kill her and then keep talking about it i mean he's married he has kids that's the weirdest thing i mean plenty of killers have had families but i don't know it just it seems a little too bizarre you know like if you were angry and you killed someone why make them a little circle of flowers like if you found someone dead maybe you would make a make, make it a little pretty or something i don't know like like you're gonna you're gonna make a flower circle for someone that you like choked to death because you're angry at them. Yeah, probably not. I mean, and also probably assaulted. Like she probably she wasn't without all her like. I mean, her clothes were gone. Why would they be gone? Yeah. If else for that reason, I mean. right? And like you're not. Yeah, that's that actually points to the fact that whoever killed her didn't do it in like just a fit of anger. Because if he had just gotten angry at her and strangled her and then be like, oh, fuck, I killed her. Why undress her? Why undress? Yeah, it's like that. Where'd the clothes go? That is a level of forensic countermeasure. Taking the clothes with you because you probably got your DNA or your blood or whatever the fuck. Yeah, exactly. On them or your hairs or something. Yeah. And um, I mean, the search was so thorough, like in the weeks and months after they had like, I think I read like hundreds of volunteers they were specifically looking for the clothes in the park mm-hmm. and they were like look in every crevice look between rocks look under like branches and piles of leaves like we need to find these clothes if they are in the park and uh, there was never anything like her shoes you know like she was wearing i th- you know like leggings or shorts a shirt socks and sneakers like they're not they're nowhere so I think that also points to the fact that someone who wanted to do her harm saw an easy target and already had in mind how they were going to cover their tracks. And I don't think that's the same person who put flower petals if those flower petals were placed by humans and not by nature. Yeah, probably not. 
I mean, again, pure speculation, but this guy always has his dog with him, right? Mm -hmm. What if the dog was like, hmm, I smell the smelly smell that's smelly and led him there. Yes, that's true. You know, that's probably... That's a good point. And what what if the dog like kind of started to fuck with her? Like... Oh, ew. You know? And then you feel bad because your dog did that. I mean, hopefully, hopefully not. Yeah. I mean, I think dogs know what dead people look like, like instinctually. Yeah. Because like genetic memory or some shit like that. Although you'd think they would find like dog DNA on her then if the dog like went up That's to what her. I'm saying. Yeah. I mean. So yeah, but maybe, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Definitely. Like alerted. The, like, and also that points to like, how are you going to kill someone? Manual strangulation takes a long time. It takes like several minutes. Then undress a dead body, which probably is hard. I mean, it's also weird that they didn't take her Walkman. Maybe it just like dropped and they didn't realize. It it was like not right next to her body. I read some conflicting things about how far away, but it was like feet, like 50 feet or something. Like That's pretty far. Pretty far, yeah. Like not like three feet. I mean, if they were going to take the clothes and the Walkman was that far away, it seems like they just missed it, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. if you're going to take something, mm-hmm. wouldn't you take all of it? Yeah, exactly. So what was I saying? Oh, so if someone did that and took off her clothes mm-hmm. and then had to carry them and get rid of them somehow, are you going to like have your dog sitting there yapping the whole time? Right. Like calling attention to you? Like this gets back to the, I mean, the Garrett Phillips murder right. when that the guy used that as his alibi. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I was walking my dog. Who brings their dog to a murder? Right. But like, okay, we're not dog people, but fuck dogs. I've never met a dog who can like fucking chill out when they need to. No, like they're 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 gonna be annoying at any time that you're trying to do something clandestine. Like totally, I don't believe that they could just sit there and be like, yes, good, please, you know, com- commit your murder. I will wait. <laughs> like yeah, no, they're gonna be like, hey, I want to I want to join. So. I don't know. Like, he's obviously really shady mm-hmm. about, like, at least a good chunk of the investigation team still thinks he did it, but they just don't have anything to hold him on. But he's too close. How close exactly? It seems like we're not sure, but like, right. I don't like it. I don't like him. Mm-hmm. Something is afoot, and he, I think he knows what's afoot. Mm hmm. Yeah. Very weird. There was also, um, just to, to bring up this that I read, um, there was a possibility, and it basically couldn't be proven now, but there is a possibility that the police thought he knew things about the crime that he shouldn't have known, but that it was actually leaked through the press, and that he could have actually just have heard it somewhere. I see. But I only saw that in a few places that it was suggested, like, oh, they said... He couldn't have known that, but he was questioned on this day and actually an article came out in this paper the day before. So he totally could have read that. Yeah. Um, But I couldn't find exactly the dates myself to confirm that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that's also always possible that like he just picked up on it like because he was around the park a lot. And that was like a thing in the neighborhood. Yeah. So this is unsolved, which really sucks. Also, while researching this case, I came across people pointing out the parallels between this and the murder of Tessa Majors, the girl who was stabbed in Morningside Park. Oh, yes. Like literally two years ago. Yeah. Which I thought about doing both of those in this one thing because, you know, they're both like 
young quirky white girls Mm -hmm. like going to college in the big city um but actually it's like that case is such a different thing with like the social issues surrounding it so we might have to talk about that at a later time yeah that deserves its own episode i Mm -hmm. think there's way too much to unpack about that one yeah i didn't realize um when i first started looking into it like i had heard about it when it came when it happened but i didn't realize how deeply that was enmeshed in like the racial and class politics of harlem and all this stuff so we'll definitely have to get into that at another time but yeah this just infuriates me that this is is not solved oh do you want to look at a picture of um dimitri i do where's the picture it's on the bottom of my dock okay Let's go to the podcast email and then open the docs from the Gmail. There it is. Like, he doesn't actually look that creepy. No, he seems okay. Homegirl's got that, like, little spiky haircut, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is like early 2000s, like quirky girl vibes. Big Definitely. time. Look at her little necklace, double okay. necklaces. Ramona flowers. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, you can just tell like she would have been great on stage. Like her expressions. Oh, no. She looks like a theater girl, 100%. Mm-hmm. And I she would have said like, that before I even knew this. Yeah. She looks like she's about to play like every character in Shakespeare. Like yeah. the ones that like lose their minds. Definitely. Yeah. So I don't know how this is ever going to get solved, but it would be really nice if we knew something. Yeah. Unfortunately, it seems like this one is lost to the sands of time. Mm-hmm. Although, I, who knows? Maybe one day they'll just get a match on that DNA. I mean, yeah, true. There's always random hits from like Ancestry.com and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the one good thing is that they do have some DNA. Um, you know, whether it's actually the killers, I guess is questionable. Maybe it's another lab tech. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe someone else picked up the Walkman and then didn't see her. And like, then maybe tossed it later. It's possible. Yeah. Like, so there's just, I mean, I mean that I, might not even be the case to, to the way to solve the case, but yeah. that is at least the one thing they do have. Yeah. So don't kill people in parks. The park is for walking walking, or maybe riding a bike in the designated area mm-hmm. of the park. Looking at birds, looking at foliage. Read a book, mm-hmm. look at the river. Meditate. Meditate. Don't kill people. Don't kill people. Meditate about not killing people. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. So tell us what you think about the yellow tulip petals and you can comment on our Instagram post for the case. And that's New York State of Crime on Instagram. And you can also send us an email with your theories. New York State of Crime at gmail.com. You can also go to our website to see photos and information about this and all of our cases. New York State of Crime Podcast.com. And we'll see you next week. Yes, yes, we will. I hope. Unless we get murdered in the park. Um, well, no, we'll just stay out of the park. Oh, okay. Parks for uh, dead people. <laughs> Stay out of the woods, man. Stay out of the woods, man. <laughs> Closest windows. Mm-hmm. This is New York State of Crime. Bye. Bye.